Hello there, and welcome back to the Jedi Library. So what is the perennial philosophy? For the most part, we will let Aldous Huxley explain it in his own introduction to this seminal book. In short, however, the perennial philosophy is the perspective in philosophy and spirituality that views all the world's religious traditions as sharing a single metaphysical truth and origin. As a direct result, it expounds the most fundamental spiritual truths underpinning human existence in all cultures at all times. Unsurprisingly, it has been embraced by many of the world's most enduring spiritual thinkers and teachers. Beyond that, our role here is to clarify what we have done to alter Huxley's original text. To be clear, none of the changes made are designed to alter the meaning or the impact of his work in any way. The alterations are intended only to make its message more accessible to a modern audience. Written in 1944, the book in its original form now falls foul of many 21st century sensibilities with its outdated use of certain phrases, words, and pronouns. These have been addressed. Potentially more contentious are the changes we have made to the names of the absolute used throughout the book. Huxley chose to refer to this it as the divine ground. Unsurprisingly, we refer to it as the force. Beyond our own mere preference, however, there are benefits to this choice. The perennial philosophy is idealist. It views consciousness or mind as fundamental rather than matter. The subtle impact of choosing a name with fewer physical connotations than the divine ground reverberates through the revised work. However, we alter more than Huxley's name for it and have adjusted the names used in the selected quotations of other authors too. Where the authors have used names such as God or Allah, we use the name the Force. For Godhead or Brahman, we replace them with the unmanifest Force. Where they have used Atman or Logos, we have inserted the manifest Force. And what are the Jedi? By the name Jedi, we do not refer to the fictional characters of George Lucas's saga. Rather, we use the term Jedi as shorthand for the blend of archetypes the name truly represents. That combination of saint, sage, teacher, and spiritual initiate have always embodied the perennial philosophy here on Earth. We recognize this may be contentious, even offensive to some people, but no offence or harm is intended. When people use different names for the same concept, it can trick us into thinking they're referring to fundamentally different concepts. This is a grave error we wish to avoid at all costs. As the great Shankara said 1200 years ago, caste, creed, family and lineage do not exist in the Force. The Force has neither name nor form. It transcends merit and demerit, is beyond time, space, and the objects of sense experience. Such is the force, and you are it. 
So although Huxley wouldn't use this exact language, the fundamental message of the perennial philosophy is as follows. The force is fundamental. We are of it and immersed in it. There are ways to know this intellectually and experience this viscerally. Countless Jedi have shown us their paths. With that, we give you the perennial philosophy of the Jedi. May the force be with you always. Introduction Philosophia Perennis The phrase was coined by Leibniz, but the metaphysic that recognises a divine force substantial to the world of things, lives and minds, the psychology that finds in the psyche something similar to, or even identical with, a divine manifest force, the ethic that places our final end in union with the same imminent and transcendent unmanifest force is immemorial and universal. Rudiments of this perennial philosophy of the Jedi may be found among the traditionary law of ancient societies in every region of the world, and in its fully developed forms, it has a place in every one of the most popular religions. Interpretations of the Force in all preceding and subsequent theologies were first committed to writing more than 25 centuries ago, and since that time, the inexhaustible theme has been treated again and again, from the standpoint of every religious tradition and in all the principal languages of the world. In the pages that follow, I have brought together a number of selections from these writings, chosen mainly for their significance because they effectively illustrate some particular point in the general system of the perennial philosophy of the Jedi, but also for their intrinsic beauty and impact. These selections are arranged in various sections and embedded, so to speak, in a commentary of my own, designed to illustrate and connect, to develop, and where necessary, to elucidate. Knowledge is a function of being. When there is a change in the being of the knower, there is a corresponding change in the nature and amount of knowledge. For example, the being of a child is transformed by growth and education into that of an adult. Among the results of this transformation is a revolutionary change in the way of knowing and the amount and character of the things known. As an individual grows, their knowledge becomes more conceptual and systematic in form and its factual utilitarian content is enormously increased. But these gains are offset by a certain deterioration in the quality of immediate apprehension, a blunting and a loss of intuitive power. Or, consider the change in their being that the scientist is able to induce mechanically by means of their instruments. Equipped with a spectroscope and a 60-inch reflecting telescope, an astronomer becomes so far as eyesight is concerned, a superhuman creature. And, as we should naturally expect, the knowledge possessed by this superhuman creature is very different, both in quantity and quality, from that which can be acquired by a stargazer with unmodified, merely human eyes. Nor are changes in the knower's physiological or intellectual being the only variables to affect their knowledge. What we know depends also on what, as moral beings, we choose to make ourselves. 
practice, in the words of William James, may change our theoretical horizon, and this in a twofold way. It may lead into new worlds and secure new powers. Knowledge we could never attain remaining where we are may be attainable in consequence of higher powers and a higher life, which we may morally achieve. To put the matter more succinctly, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall feel the force. And the same idea has been expressed by the Sufi poet Jalaluddin Rumi in terms of a scientific metaphor. The laboratory of the force is love. This book is an anthology of the perennial philosophy of the Jedi, but though an anthology, it contains many extracts from the writings of real people. And though illustrating a philosophy, hardly anything from the professional philosophers. The reason for this is very simple. The perennial philosophy of the Jedi is primarily concerned with the one force substantial to the manifold world of things, lives and minds. But the nature of the one force is such that it cannot be directly and immediately apprehended, except by those who have chosen to fulfil certain conditions, making themselves loving, pure in heart and poor in spirit. Why should this be so? We do not know. It is just one of those facts which we must accept whether we like it or not, however implausible and unlikely it may seem. Nothing in our everyday experience gives us any reason for supposing that water is made up of hydrogen and oxygen. And yet when we subject water to certain rather drastic treatments, the nature of its constituent elements becomes manifest. Similarly, nothing in our everyday experience gives us much reason for supposing that the mind of the average sensual person has, as one of its constituents, something resembling or identical with the force substantial to the manifold world. And yet, when that mind is subjected to certain rather drastic treatments, the divine element, of which it is in at least part composed, becomes manifest, not only to the mind itself, but also by its reflection in external behaviour to other minds too. It is only by conducting physical experiments that we can discover the intimate nature of matter and its potentialities, and it is only by conducting psychological and moral experiments that we can discover the intimate nature of the mind and its potentialities. In the ordinary circumstances of average sensual life, these potentialities of the mind remain latent and unmanifested. If we would realise them, we must fulfil certain conditions and obey certain rules, which experience has shown to be empirically valid. In regard to the professional philosophers, is there any evidence that they did very much in the way of fulfilling the necessary conditions of direct spiritual knowledge? When poets or metaphysicians talk about the subject matter of the perennial philosophy of the Jedi, it is generally at second hand. But in every age, there have been some men and women who choose to fulfil the conditions upon which alone, as a matter of brute empirical fact, such immediate knowledge can be had. And of these, a few have left accounts of the force they were thus enabled to apprehend, and have tried to relate. 
in one comprehensive system of thought the given facts of this experience with the given facts of their own other experiences. To such first-hand exponents of the perennial philosophy of the Jedi, those who knew them have generally given the name of saint or prophet, sage or enlightened one. We might now refer to them as Jedi. And it is mainly to these, because there is good reason for supposing that they knew what they were talking about, and not the professional philosophers, that I have gone for my selections. In India, two classes of scripture are recognised, the Shruti, or inspired writings, which are their own authority, since they are the product of immediate insight into the Force, and the Smriti, which are based on the Shruti, and from them derive such authority as they have. The Shruti, in Shankara's words, depends upon direct perception. The Smriti plays a part analogous to induction, since like induction, it derives its authority from another authority other than itself. This book, then, is an anthology with explanatory comments of passages drawn from the Shruti and Smriti of many times and places. Unfortunately, familiarity with traditionally hallowed writings tends to breed not indeed contempt, but something which for practical purposes is almost as bad, namely, a kind of reverential insensibility, a stupor of the spirit, an inward deafness to the meaning of the sacred words. For this reason, when selecting material to illustrate the doctrines of the perennial philosophy of the Jedi, as they were formulated in the West, I've gone almost always to sources other than the Bible. This Christian Smriti, from which I have drawn, is based upon the Shruti of the canonical books, but the great advantage of being less well-known and therefore more vivid, and so to say more audible. Moreover, much of this Smriti is the work of the genuinely saintly men and women who have qualified themselves to know at first hand what they were talking about. Consequently, it may be regarded as being a form of inspired and self-validating Shruti, and this in a much higher degree than many of the writings now included in the biblical canon. In recent years, a number of attempts have been made to work out a system of empirical theology, but in spite of the subtlety and intellectual power of such writers as Sawley, Oman and Tennant, the effort has met with only partial success. Even in the hands of its ablest exponents, empirical theology is not particularly convincing. The reason, it seems to me, must be sought in the fact that empirical theologians have confined their attention more or less exclusively to the experience of those whom the theologians of an older school called the unregenerate. That is to say, the experience of people who have not gone very far in fulfilling the necessary conditions of spiritual knowledge. But it is a fact, confirmed and reconfirmed during two or three thousand years of religious history, that the force is not clearly and immediately apprehended, except by those who have made themselves loving, pure in heart, and poor in spirit. This being so, it is hardly surprising that a theology based on the experience of nice, ordinary, unregenerate people should carry so little conviction. This kind of empirical theology is on precisely the same footing as an empirical astronomy based upon the experience of naked-eye observers. 
With the unaided eye, a small, faint smudge can be detected in the constellation of Orion, and doubtless an imposing cosmological theory could be based upon the observation of this smudge. But no amount of such theorising, however ingenious, could ever tell us as much about the galactic and extragalactic nebulae as can direct acquaintance via a good telescope, camera and spectroscope. Analogously, no amount of theorising about such hints as may be darkly glimpsed within the ordinary, unregenerate experience of the manifest world can tell us as much about the force as can be directly apprehended by a mind in a state of detachment, charity and humility. Natural science is empirical, but it does not confine itself to the experience of human beings in their merely human and unmodified condition. Why empirical theologians should feel obliged to submit to this handicap, goodness only knows. And of course, so long as they confine empirical experience with those all-too-human limits, they are doomed to the perpetual stultification of their best efforts. From the material they have chosen to consider, no matter how brilliantly gifted, none can infer more than a set of possibilities, or at the very best, specious probabilities. The self-validating certainty of direct awareness cannot in the very nature of things be achieved, except by those equipped with the moral laboratory of the mysteries of the force. If you are not yet a sage, saint or Jedi, the best thing one can do in the field of metaphysics is to study the works of those who were and who, because they had modified their merely human mode of being, were capable of a more than merely human type and amount of knowledge.